again, we appreciate the opportunity to speak to you, study with you this evening, and worship with you. It's been nice to be here with the Lakeside Congregation today. It's nice to have a nice building full of people, and singing is good, and, and the attitudes are good, and it just makes you feel welcome, and we're appreciative of that very much. The book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, starting at verse 14, the writer says, Strive for peace with everyone, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. The writer gives this warning to the Hebrew Christians. He, he warns them about the so-called root of bitterness that can spring up in our lives, and he hearkens to the example of Esau, which we'll think about here in just a minute, but bitterness, bitterness as, as something to be on guard against. And we might just start by saying, well, what is bitterness? How, how are we going to define that? And if you just look at a dictionary, you get anger and disappointment of being treated unfairly or resentment. That bitterness is a result of we feel that we've been mistreated in some way, either by another person, that somebody has abused us or slighted us or cheated us or gotten away with something in some way, or, or just life circumstances sometimes. You know, bad things happen to people from time to time. You lose your job. You're, you're told that you don't have employment anymore because the plant has closed or the business has gone out of, is going out of business or is relocated. Or you get that bad diagnosis at the doctor that you've got some terminal condition or some really serious health problem. Or maybe it's family problems, you know, that people have disagreements and there's divorce and there's parents and children that get estranged from each other. There's just all kinds of things that could come up that could lead to an attitude of bitterness, of resentment, of, uh, of this brooding kind of holding a grudge in our lives. And somebody described bitterness one time as a spiritual splinter. You're working and you get a splinter in your finger, in your thumb or somewhere. And, and, and it just, it, it's there and it nags and it hurts and it annoys and it can get infected if you don't get it out. And, and, and everything you do, it's just there and it's just this constant, uh, you know, feeling in your life of, of unsettlement and, and annoyance. And bitterness is something that can work its way inside of us, and it just, it just irritates you all the time. Just, just kind of takes over, and everything that you view in life is through the prism of that bitterness that you hold in your heart. And as I've already inferred, bitterness kind of comes from two sources, and one of those is just the circumstances of life sometimes. 
We've got a book in the Old Testament, the book of Ruth. And Ruth is, we turn back to Ruth chapter 1. And Ruth presents us with the characters in chapter 1. We've got a Jewish man named Elimelech. And his wife is Naomi, and he's got two sons, Malon and Kilion, and they were living in, in uh, the land of Israel, and, and they have to go off to the land of Moab because of a famine. So, so they pack up their bags and their stuff, and they go off into another country to live, you know, different culture, maybe a different language. And when they get over there, uh, in, in verse, uh, let's start reading verse 3. Now, Limelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. And after they both lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without, without her two sons and her husband. So Naomi's life has been upended, turned upside down. She's had to pack up and move off into a foreign country. Her sons have married these foreign women. And now her husband and both of her sons have all died on her. And down in verse 20, Naomi says, don't call me Naomi, she told them, call me Mara. The word Mara means bitter. Don't call me Naomi anymore, just call me bitter, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought mis misfortune upon me. Naomi, I've lost my husband. I've lost both my sons. My life is empty. It has no meaning. And Naomi does what a whole lot of people does. She blames God. It's all God's fault. God has done this to me. Why has God been so unkind, so unfair to me? Just call me bitter from now on. Sometimes life's circumstances can be cruel to us. And sometimes the actions of others or the words of others affect us and, and cause bitterness and sourness. And we have Esau, which the Hebrew writer referred to there in Hebrews 12. If we go back to Genesis chapter 27, where Isaac is about to die and he's giving his blessings and, and Jacob comes and, and takes his brother Esau's place. We remember the story, you know, put the goat skins on his arm so he'd feel like he was hairy like his brother because Isaac is old and he's, he can't see very good and he fixes the meal that his brother would fix for his father and he gets the blessing. And Esau comes in, starting there in verse 34. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me too, my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Esau said, Isn't he rightly named Jacob? This is the second time he has taken advantage of me. He took my birthright, and now he's taken my blessing. And then he asked, haven't you reserved any blessing for me? And down in verse 41, Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. And he said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near, then I will kill my brother Jacob. He's bitter because his brother has cheated him not once but twice in his eyes. 
and he's got a grudge. I hate him, and I'm going to kill him. Bitterness. And the Hebrew writer reminds them about Esau and, and calls Esau, in the King James Version, a profane person or an, an unholy kind of person, he says there. And, and, and the, the bigger context here in Hebrews chapter 12 is he's trying to encourage them not to give up their newfound faith in Christ. They've, they've, they're Jews, they've practiced Judaism for a thousand years or more, and now the gospel of Christ has come along, and they, they've believed in Jesus, and they've been obedient to the faith, but, but they're facing pressures. Maybe their families, maybe their friends, their neighbors, various people are, are, are you know, trying to dissuade them from following Christ. And, and they're feeling discouraged in this. And, and the Hebrew writer is reminding them of the zeal that they had back when they were first enlightened, as he calls it, when they first came to Christ. And, and trying to encourage them not to give that up for something that's not worth it. And he get, throws at them the example of Esau. That, that Esau took his inheritance, the most valuable thing he could have, and threw it away for a bowl of soup, basically. There in Genesis chapter 25, made a very bad, a very poor decision, and became very embittered. And telling them, don't give up. Don't give up your faith. Don't be like Esau. Uh, some other scriptures about being bitter or bitterness. In Acts chapter 8, we have the story there of Simon the sorcerer, as he's called, who believes Philip's preaching and is baptized in Acts 8 and, and verse 13. And, and then he uh, sees this, these miraculous gifts that the apostles come and, and bestow on some of the Samaritan Christians. And he wants those, and he offers Peter and John money to buy the gift of God. And there in verse 23, uh, he, he is told to repent and to pray to God for forgiveness. Peter says, for I see that you are full of bitterness. You're full of bitterness and captive to sin. Uh, the, the King James Version says you're in the gall of bitterness. And gall is a bitter drink. It's, it's, it's sort of an opioid. It sort of puts you out of your head, I guess. It's what they were trying to give Jesus when they crucified him and he refused to drink of it. it it's, it's poison, basically. Peter's basically saying, you, you've been poisoned by this. You're poisoned by your bitterness, Simon. And maybe Simon felt resentment. He, he was used to being important. He was used to being somebody and people looking up to him and respecting him. And, and now they've all converted to Christ and he's lost that status that he held in the community. And, and he sees an opportunity to regain that by buying this gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter says you're just full of bitterness. Paul writing to the Romans and, and in the first three chapters of Romans, Paul talks about, you know, he, he concludes in verse 23 of chapter 3 that all have sinned and fall, fall short of the glory of God, that we're all sinners. And Paul lists some of the qualities there uh, that, that those who are in sin have. And in verse 
14, their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. Bitterness. Bitterness is a quality that wicked people, sinful people have, Paul says. In Ephesians chapter 4, in verses 31 and 32, the apostle Paul encourages the Ephesians that they got to get rid of some things. He, he said there, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. To put away the bitterness. The world is just full of people that are mad all the time. Do you notice that? People are just always upset. And, 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 and the world is full of bitterness. Everybody just seems permanently disgruntled in the 21st century about something. And everybody's carrying a grudge. And, and, and you know, we, we talked about it this morning. Everything is political in today's world. And this group is against that group. And everything is framed in these these discussions of I'm somebody's enemy and they're my, you know, I'm their enemy. And Paul says you got to get rid of the, the jealousy and the bitterness. And James, in James chapter 3, he, he talks about where this originates from. James chapter 3 and down at verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom, NIV, it's in air quotes, such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. Bitterness doesn't come from heaven. It comes from the other direction. And maybe some people think it's wisdom, but it's not. It's foolishness. It's destructive. And, and what it does to us... The, the result is that when we become embittered, then when we get blessings, we don't see them. We don't recognize them. It, it can blind us to the good things that happen in our life. You know, back to Naomi in the book of Ruth, uh, Ruth chapter 4 and, and down at verse 14. At the, at the end of the story, the women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. And Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. And the women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Naomi, in her bitterness, she, she, she refused to see that Ruth loved her, her daughter-in-law. Ruth was faithful to Naomi. Ruth cared for Naomi. 
Ruth and Boaz and their child. She, she's gained a family to, to make up, to take the place of the family that she's lost. But she's, she's kind of slowed us to recognize that because of her bitterness that she's expressed against God. And then we got Esau back there again. Yeah, and Esau's got a grudge against Jacob, and Esau wants to kill Jacob, but Esau kind of forgets that, that he brought a lot of this on himself by the way he conducted his own life because he was an unholy sort of person, as the Hebrew writer says. You know, he, he accuses there in Genesis 27 and verse 36 that, you know, Jacob twice has taken advantage of him and, and just stolen everything from him. But we go back to the, to the start of the matter in Genesis chapter 25. And Esau just comes in from being out, out hunting and, and he says he's starving to death. And Jacob is fixing some stew there, and, and, and he says, give me some of that. I'm, I'm about to die here. And Jacob says in verse 31, well, why don't you sell me your birthright? And, and Esau says, I'm about to die. What good is a birthright? And, and, he, and he agreed. And he, and he, as the writer says in verse 34, he despised his birthright. He, he just threw it away. He caused his own problem there by his own short-sightedness, because all he's interested in is the moment at hand and the physical satisfaction of a bowl of stew. And he doesn't see the long-term consequences of what he's doing. In, uh, again, back there in Ephesians chapter 4, which we read it a second ago, but when Paul is telling them they need to get rid of the bitterness and the envy, he says, he says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. The, the bitterness goes hand in hand with some bad company. Malice, strife, rage, anger, brawling. All these things go hand in hand with one another. They're, they're all fueled by the, the bitter attitude. And again, back in our original text there, in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15, See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Bitterness doesn't just affect me. It affects everybody that I come in contact with. Because bad attitudes are contagious. They spread. They spread through the family. They spread through the workplace. You got, you got a business here or, or whatever the, the, you know, the workplace is and somebody is just always negative and mad at the world and full of a grudge and resentment. It just affects everybody. It, 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 it just causes problems everywhere. And in the church, in congregations, if somebody's consumed with bitterness, 
the writer says, it, it, can, it can defile many. It doesn't just defile the one person, it can defile many. It spreads like leaven. So what are we going to do about our bitterness? What's the solution? Well, number one, the solution is, is trust in God, that, that God is going to make things right and take care of things. Psalm 73 is, uh, the psalm starts talking about uh, some of the injustices in life and, and how the, the wicked seem to get away with a lot sometimes. Um, if I could get these things to open up here. I told you this morning, new book. It says, it, Psalm 73, I'm not going to read the whole thing here, but just, just a few verses here and there. Uh, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limit. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. The, the psalmist starts out by saying, the, the, the bad people get away with everything. Those who do wicked, well, they prosper from it. They never have any problems in life. And doesn't it just seem that way a lot of times? Don't, don't we just look at life and, and get this sense that it's not fair and, and, and that the bad guys are always, always seem to have the upper hand and everything they do just seems to prosper and, and the little guy struggles and tries and he just can't seem to get ahead. And that's the whole attitude that the psalmist is displaying at the start here. But if, if you read it all the way down to the end, he, he realizes at the end that God is still there in heaven and God is still looking over all the affairs of men, and, and God is going to even everything out and make everything right in the end. And in verse 28, as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Verse 26, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. As for me, it is good to be near God. We trust in the Lord. God is eternal. God sees what we don't. God, God knows the big picture. He knows what people do. He knows the good and the bad. He understands our thoughts and intents of the heart. God will judge righteously if we just let him. And, and sometimes we just need to res accept responsibility for our mistakes and move on because we all make them. In, in 2 Corinthians 7, Paul talks about the process of godly sorrow and repentance there in 2 Corinthians 7. 
And, and he, he talks about how in verse 10, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. Sometimes we just mess up. I make mistakes, you make mistakes, we, make, we take the wrong turn. And rather than blaming everyone else, and rather than blaming God, and just being mad for the rest of my life, maybe I just need to deal with it. Maybe I just need to admit that I was wrong. And just decide, I'm going to put that behind me and change. Because we can't go back into the past. There is no time machine that we can go back and relive and rewrite, rewrite all the wrongs of the past. Sometimes you just got to move on. And recognize that God will accept us if we repent. And recognize that our brothers and sisters will accept us if we change. And, and Paul talks about how this process can lead to, to eagerness and enthusiasm and, and, and a, you know, a, a new way of, of living there in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. If we'll just accept responsibility and press on. And if we'll learn to be forgiving, forgiving of others, forgiving of ourselves. You know, Matthew 18, Peter asked Jesus, a question about forgiveness. There in verse 21, Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. And I, I think, I imagine Peter thought Jesus was going to be really impressed with that. I, I'll forgive somebody up to seven times, Jesus. Like he, he was just really going out of the way there to be good. And Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times, or 70 times seven times. And the point is not to whip out the calculator and figure out how many times I've forgiven somebody. The, the point is it's infinite. It's endless. To, to be forgiving. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. 1 Peter 3 Verses 8 and 9. You know, we, we, we need to give forgiveness because we're all going to need it sooner or later. And because God has offered it to us. Peter says, finally all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you are called so that you may inherit a blessing. Peter wants us to, to be forgiving and, and to be compassionate and, and not to be trying to get even and get back at over every little thing. And, and we, we've got to remember that we've been forgiven a whole lot. We, we referenced in the Bible study this morning Luke chapter 7 when 
Jesus goes to eat with Simon the Pharisee and the so-called sinful woman comes in and, and Simon gets sort of indignant and offended by that and Jesus tells him a story about forgiveness, about two debtors that owed a small sum and a large sum and they're both forgiven and, and asks, you know, which one do you think is going to love the person more? And, well, the one that was forgiven the most, Simon says. And Jesus says, well, that's right. You've judged correctly. And in verse 47, Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. I've been forgiven a lot by God. And you have too. We've all been forgiven greatly by God. And, and that leads to gratitude more than bitterness. You know, it, it's all how we, how we look at it, what perspective we set for ourselves. If we'll remember how forgiven we are, then it becomes easier for us to forgive others and not hold a grudge. And to learn contentment, to learn to accept circumstances. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11, and he says, he says in verse 11, I, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Paul talks about contentment. Where is Paul writing this from? Paul's in prison. He's in prison in Rome. How can you be content when you're in prison? Paul's content. Paul has an even keel through life. He, he doesn't let things bother him because Paul knows how loved he is by Christ and he knows how forgiven he is by Christ. He refers to himself to Timothy as the chief of sinners. And he holds himself out as the example of that Christ can forgive anybody there in 1 Timothy chapter 1. And so Paul goes through life with a sense of contentment about whatever the external circumstances. Paul has this joy in his forgiveness in Christ that is not affected by external circumstances. And he's able to... To, to press on with life. And as he says, do all things through Christ who strengthens him. Because Paul could forget the past. Forget the past. In, in, the, in the third chapter, the prior chapter, Philippians 3. And there in verse 13, he, he says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it of eternal life, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind 
and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I press on. We, you know, some of these points on the, on the screen are to press on. Paul's pressing on. He, he's not consuming himself with the past. We can spend a vast amount of energy worrying about what happened yesterday about bad decisions we've made, about bad things that other people have done. We can spend a lot of time getting aggravated and full of rage over things that have happened in the past, and the only person that hurts is self. It hurts ourself. Paul says, I ain't worrying about the past. Paul's not priding himself in the work he's done for Christ in the past and saying, well, I can just stop and cruise on in now. Paul's not consumed with self-loathing over, you know, Paul, Paul helped to put Christians to death. He helped to imprison servants of Jesus Christ. He was one of the chief persecutors of the early church. Paul could very easily have just wallowed in a pool of self-pity and self-disgust over how bad he had been in the past and wasted his life. He didn't do that. What's, what's the past is the past. Can't change it. But I've got now, and I can press forward. I can press on. Sometimes we just got to forget the past and move on ahead. Jesus paid the ultimate price for us. In John 16 and verse 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world, Jesus says. Yeah, we're going to have trouble in this world because Jesus had trouble in this world. They killed him. But he was still at peace. He was at peace with his father and with the circumstances that befell him. And I'm always impressed when Jesus is before the Sanhedrin and they're making fun of him and they're insulting him and they're beating on him. And when he stands before Pilate and Pilate is, is screaming at him that, you know, don't you know I have power to, to free you or to crucify you? And Jesus is just this force of calm in all of his trials. He doesn't get agitated. He doesn't curse at them. He doesn't insult them. He's, he's not cowering in fear of them. He says to Pilate, you don't have any power over me at all. Whatever power you have is what's been given from above. Christ brings peace. In me, you may have peace. In the world, you'll have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. I don't know if you can see that or not in the back. Nelson Mandela. Nelson Mandela is the former president of South Africa. He spent 27 years in prison because he opposed the apartheid, uh, you know, racial government there in South Africa. He said, as I walked out the door toward the gate, 
that would lead to my freedom, I knew if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I'd still be in prison. If I didn't leave my bitterness behind, I'd still be in prison. Even though he was free, he'd still be in prison. No root of bitterness. We have the invitation song that was selected. We offer to you the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ died to pay the price for my sins and your sins and to offer us a life of peace that we can have peace with God, knowing our sins are forgiven. We have peace among ourselves, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah, the world throws troubles at us, but Jesus brings peace and joy and love. We will believe in him as God's son and repent of our sins and confess, be willing to believe to the point that we'll confess our faith in him before others and to be baptized, to be immersed in water for the forgiveness of sins. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that believes not shall be condemned. Mark 16 and verse 16. As Christians, if we sin, just like Simon in Acts chapter 8, he was told to repent and pray for forgiveness. We're encouraged in James chapter 5, confess our faults one another and pray one for another. We may be healed. If you're here this evening and we can assist you in any way, we invite you to come forward while we stand and sing the song that we're selected.